0: impact every minute of every day of our lives, and when I'm looking around and I'm seeing in other people that this is not the case, and when I look at my own life and see that oftentimes that is not the case, I'm wondering, what does God's Word say about this? And I'm wondering, what does Scripture teach us about this? And what are some responses that Scripture records about how we respond to the resurrection? And if we will look this morning at Scripture, I've got three different groups that we want to look at three different types of responses to the resurrection, because you understand that uh, nothing is new, that Scripture is sufficient, it records everything we need, and that whenever we have a problem, we go back to the Word of God, and it's going to answer it for us. So this morning, the first group that I want us to look at is the response of unbelief. For this, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to begin to read in verse 11, and I will read. While they were going... Behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they, the chief priests, had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So what I want you to see in this passage is that we really have two groups going on. Now, I don't know how many of you, when you were little, read those pick-your-adventure stories. Um, I don't even know if they still make those, but what would happen is you would come to the beginning, and you would have a situation or a scenario. And at the bottom of the page, you would say, if you want to do this, go to page two. If you want to do that, go to page 67 or something. And you would follow this story arc, and you could end up in different places. Well, imagine what we have here is we have two groups starting at the same place and they take different routes, but at the end they come to the same conclusion, which is an attitude of unbelief in the resurrection. So the first group we have, they're motivated by religion. This is the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. This is the 120 big dogs of Judaism in the day. They make all the decisions, and they came in predisposed to not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now what that means is when they showed up that morning, and the guards came, and they said, here's what we saw. It was amazing. Flash of light. Stone rolled away. We were scared out of our minds. The Sanhedrin had already made up in their mind that there was no way that Jesus could rise from the dead. They came with a set mind of what was possible and what was impossible. And what was impossible was that this guy that three days earlier they had condemned to death and watched die could now be coming back, thereby proving everything he said was real. You see, what happened was, they valued their religion more than they valued truth. They had so developed a system of ceremonies and festivals and feasts and special days that the idea of separating themselves from that was unbelievable. They had developed a system where they were powerful because of these laws. They were powerful because of their position. And the idea that they would hand that over to this carpenter from Nazareth was unbelievable and they wouldn't have it. And it was why they fought him for his entire ministry and eventually wanted him dead because he threatened their power. They had so filled their lives with these things that there was no room for the resurrection. And I think what can happen is that we can be the exact same way. I know for me that, you know, I'm involved in different ministries, I play Uh, I play music at our church, and so I'm involved in in different music ministries, and and I teach Sunday school. And so what can happen is your whole mindset is, what's next, and how do I have to do this? And it's it's just getting everything done, and you don't stop to remember that this is about God. This is about His glory. He is in charge. It is His gospel, not ours. And we can get so caught up in doing church and doing the things that we do that we don't even realize that we've pushed God out of the picture. But what can also happen is that we can purposefully and mindfully say, this can't happen. And you maybe know somebody like this. You might be somebody like this. That you showed up, and when somebody told you about the resurrection, you didn't even want to hear the arguments, you do not want to hear the evidence, you do not want to hear any of it, because in your mind you're going, there's no way someone can go come back from the dead. Death is the end, and then it's done. And so you showed up, believing already there's no way this can happen so nothing you say matters and if the truth of the resurrection is ever going to break through you've got to put that aside and examine the truth so the first group we have are motivated by religion the second group we have they are motivated by worldly gain these are the soldiers who were the only people actually sitting there when the resurrection took place in the big flash of lightning like we said They were knocked over, it says, and they fell as though dead. They were just scared out of their minds by what they had seen. But check what had happened. They came and they told the Sanhedrin everything that had happened. They said all that had taken place, they told them. They had seen something supernatural and unbelievable with their own eyes. No one could tell them they hadn't seen it because they did. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees said... No, 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 that's not what's going to, you're not going to tell anybody about that. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to give you some money, and it says a sufficient sum of money. Now, what you need to understand is these guys were filthy rich. They were not hunting over a stack of 20s. They're bringing out the wheelbarrow of gold. Like, these guys are loaded. They're going to make it worth their while. And they're going to keep them out of trouble, because you see what would happen. These are Roman soldiers. They're not supposed to be sleeping on the job, and that was what their excuse was. They stole him away in the night while we were asleep. Their job was to guard the tomb. They weren't asleep. They weren't allowed to be asleep. These were Roman soldiers. They weren't weren't volunteering for this. So he says, we're going to keep you out of trouble. We're going to give you all this money. And in exchange, you spread this story that the disciples came and just stole his body. He's still dead. How in the world could they do that? That they sat there and they witnessed truth and they chose to put it away For a handful of money. Listen, you and I can be the exact same way. And it may not be as blatant, and it may not be someone actually handing us some money and telling us to go spread a lie, but we can ignore God. And we can ignore truth. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about some reasons I've heard with my own ears, reasons people have said to me about why they either won't be involved in church, or why they won't come to church, or why they won't listen to the gospel. And it's things like, right now work is really stressful. I could get a promotion if I pick up some overtime. There was a nicer house across town, so we moved. You know, it would be great to come to church today, but the weather's really nice outside. This is stuff that people will look you in the face and say, this is why I don't have time for God. We'll look at the pitiful stuff of this world and we'll value it more than God. And this is nothing new. This has been happening since the garden. Adam and Eve got to walk with God. They got to literally walk around in the garden of his paradise and talk with him and have fellowship with him. And Satan shows up and goes, Hey, that fruit, you you're, not, you're not allowed to have that fruit. They say, Well, I would like that fruit. Don't tell me I can't have something. And he made it look enticing. And they threw away God for some fruit. And listen, we do the exact same thing. So that was a response to the resurrection, a response of unbelief. The second response we need to look at is the response of skepticism. It's a response of skepticism. For this, we're going to be looking in John chapter 20 and verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands in his hands the mark of the nails and placed my finger into the mark of the nails and placed my hand into his side i will never believe so 8 days later his disciples were inside again and thomas was with them and although the doors were locked jesus came and he stood among them and said peace be with you then he said to thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side do not disbelieve but believe Thomas answered him, "My Lord and my God." And Jesus said to him, "Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." The word skepticism has sort of a negative connotation, I think, in our in our culture. When we say someone that's a skeptic, we normally don't mean that in a positive sense. But it comes from a Greek word "skopeo" that just means to inspect, examine, or to postpone judgment. Understand that these skeptics were followers of Jesus Christ for whom the resurrection was too good to be true. Now, when I was studying for this, I think we pick on Thomas a little too much. Uh, We call him Doubting Thomas, and he sort of gets held up as the one who doubted. But they were all guilty of this. Think about it. The women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, whereas all the accounts said that they were the first to go to the tomb, they weren't going to the tomb to wait out for the resurrection. They weren't pulling up a seat waiting for the resurrection. They were going to finish the burial process. They expected to find a body. They expected to find Jesus dead. Peter and John, when they were told about it, they ran to the tomb. They inspected it, and it said they went home marveling. They didn't understand what was going on either. The other eight disciples, they didn't believe because we read about in Mark that Jesus comes and rebukes all of them for their unbelief. Or how about the disciples on the road to Emmaus? who Jesus comes disguised and explains all the scripture about how he had to come and die, when he comes and asks them, they're depressed, and he says, why are you depressed? And they said, you not know what's gone on? Jesus of Nazareth was killed, and some women came and told us that he rose from the dead, but no, we, just, we just can't believe that. Skepticism is actually the response we would expect from people who witnessed the crucifixion. These guys had stood and watched Jesus beat out of his mind. They watched Jesus reduced to where he didn't even look like a human being anymore. They watched him die in agony and shame, and they watched him take his body down. Now imagine that's you, and you witnessed that. You witnessed the death of your leader. You would love for him to be back. You would love for him to have risen from the dead. But that's too good to be true. Now for some of you, the resurrection is too good to be true. Maybe you've got what we were talking about a minute ago, that that preset mind that you said, no, death is the end. There just can't be anything else. The resurrection means that death is not the end, that we can see our loved ones again, that this life can have purpose and meaning beyond anything we can hope and imagine. And you want to believe. Listen, these guys were not God-haters. These guys were followers of Jesus. They'd followed him for years. Witnessed his miracles. Prayed with him. Ate with him. They didn't hate God. But they had a hard time believing that this could be real. And maybe that's you. You've been hurt. You've seen chaos. You've seen crisis. You've seen catastrophe. And in your life, you're going, there's no way that there's a God out there who loves me and can order all of this to make sense. The resurrection is proof that God can take the greatest tragedy and turn it into something glorious. Jesus Christ can reveal himself to you this morning through his spirit and through his word. It's how he has operated for the vast majority of the last 2,000 years. This leads us to response number three, which is a response of faith. For this, we look at Acts chapter 2 in verse 37, where it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This response of faith is a response of people who did not physically see Christ with their own eyes. These are Jews who had come from all over the Roman Empire for what is called Pentecost, or the Feast of Harvest. I just want to pause there a second and kind of brag on God and how awesome he is. Isn't it amazing that this festival had been in place for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Feast of the Harvest, where they're celebrating the harvest. And Jesus has said just a couple years ago, the fields are white with the harvest, and he's talking about human souls. And here at the Feast of Harvest, we see the first great harvest of human souls in conversion, and we see 3,000 people get added to the number of the believers. Now, before this, understand, there was 120 In one day, they went from 120 to 3,120. It's a pretty good day. It's pretty successful. That's amazing. Our God is great. Now, Christ was revealed to them by the preaching of his word. It says that Peter bore witness and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and convicted them. So this response of faith, what did it do? The response of unbelief... It left the Jews, the Sanhedrin, stuck in their lostness, destined for hell and judgment. The response of skepticism left the disciples just in a state of confusion, and they had to pick. This response of faith, it totally, radically, and instantly transformed these people's lives. Verse 42 through 47 of that same chapter, it records how these men and women were different after their spiritual encounter with Christ. Just a few things that I want us to notice about how they were different. They were devoted to Bible teaching, prayer, and meeting together with other believers. They shared what they had and took care of each other like a family. This was something they took part in every day, it says. It says they worshiped God. They were glad and generous. They were well-liked. It says they were had favor with all the people because of the lives that they led. Your life and my life should bear that same sort of fruit. Their lives gave complete and convincing evidence to the truth of the resurrection, even though Christ had already ascended. We talk about how you and I are the body of Christ. As Christians, we are the body of Christ. We are His physical representation right now while he sits in heaven at the right hand of God interceding for us we are the ambassadors of Christ is what the Bible says we are his hands and feet going to the world and we're supposed to look like him and we're supposed to do the kinds of things he did and if the resurrection happened and these things aren't happening in us something's not going on there The resurrection is make it or break it for Christianity. If the resurrection happened, then any worldview that doesn't have Jesus Christ ruling and reigning at its center is destined for destruction and a lie. But if it didn't happen, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. Paul talks about this. He says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then you and I are living a lie, and our faith is pointless and it's in vain. And he says, we are to be pitied above all men because we have based our lives on a lie. I was thinking this week about uh, the Grand Canyon. And I've been there twice, and it's really awesome. And it's one of those things where you can see pictures of it, but to actually stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's just unbelievable. And I was thinking about how I have kind of a thing with heights where I hate them. And, uh, it's a mile down, roughly. And so here's the edge, and they've got some fences and stuff, but they're, they're kind of weak. They should be bigger. Uh, and you've got the edge, and it's almost straight down for a mile. It's like you're standing on a 528-story building, looking down. And you can see some people, like, making their way down these trails, and they're crazy. And, uh... They look like little ants, and then they become specks of dust, and then you can't even see them anymore. They're so far down. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how that edge, that edge exists whether I think it does or not. That edge is where it is, whether I think it's five inches back or five feet forward. That edge is there regardless. And I don't change the edge to fit my perspective. This is this is a problem we have nowadays and it's called postmodernism, where truth is just sort of it's okay for you, it's okay for me, nobody does this at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> the edge is the edge. <laughs> the edge is real. You don't mess with the edge, or you die. <laughs> Think of the resurrection like an ever present edge. You know, you can get in your car and you can leave the Grand Canyon and that edge It's still there, but you don't really have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. It doesn't really change anything. The resurrection is always there. It's the sort of thing that impacts us all the time. You can't get away from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And last week, Pastor Mike, he presented to you clear, simple evidence that we can trust that the resurrection happened. So if it happened stuff's got to change in us. Our lives should reflect that truth. I'll leave you with this thought. The resurrection is truth, and we cannot change the truth to fit our lives. We change our lives to fit the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I am thankful.